Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome to the Raw Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by one of the Dadly Boys, Michael Hamflet from What Culture, to review anything that happened on last night's episode of Monday Night Raw. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, 16 time world heavyweight champion. <laughs> I said I wouldn't let it affect me, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, where was that? Oh, yeah. If <laughs> you roll down <laughs> NXT, AW Dynamite, pay-per-views, we have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a round of the week complete with a bloody good Oh, joined by Michael Ablett. No Michael Sidgwick. He's enjoying a well-deserved week off. We're going to review Monday Night Raw. Yeah, which, um, I mean, it sounded great. It sounded, sounded fantastic. Goldberg got a mixed reaction from the live crowd and the pop.wav crowd. Uh, let's let's talk about it. What did you think of, of Raw and the sweetening and the uh, Chicago crowd and, well, everything? Sorry, didn't know the podcast feed accidentally get woven into this one. Now, we'll have to get onto Aircast. Apologies to all the listeners there. It feels like there was some overlap. Um, yeah, I, yeah, uh, just uh, feel like I wanted to... Uh, speak like this for anybody that might have been in attendance for the show last night because i'm assuming that's how they cheered because was this show in chicago or was it back in the thunderdome because jesus christ they have killed the hottest market in pro wrestling <laughs> this goddamn city one of the greatest cities in the world has just sold out a building for aw two weeks before they're working four nights in the city and wb turned three hours into this <laughs> It's Goldberg! Bray Wyatt, Bray Wyatt, CM Punk, CM Punk. We got a no holds barred women's main event. <laughs> no wonder they had to pipe in Michael Cole. Jesus Christ. I don't blame the natives of that wonderful city and that wonderful building at all. Um, I blame WWE for normalizing the thing we waited 17 months for in less than a month because. Wilborn, this raw was really boring, mate. What are we gonna do? Skip. <laughs> you How long is a five star review? Is it three hours? It's so boring. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was surreal watching this because I went into it and I was sitting there thinking, like, 
like is there is there going to be a point where they lose the crowd like is there going to be a point where they go you know what no i know i've come to see monday night raw but bollocks this i'm annoyed already about bray wyatt obviously cm punk it's gonna happen where's it gonna happen turns out pretty much throughout the entire show effectively um and yeah to counteract that they went i tell you i can get this crowd on our side have Mustafa Ali lose. <laughs> oh, God. Biggest pop of the night, man. Jesus Christ. As soon as he... I mean, like, it does... To be In WWE's defence, it's very rare that I say this. In WWE's defence, this does make sense in terms of the larger overarching story of Mansoor and Ali, right? But if you knew you were coming to Chicago, which they did, surely just swap around. Have them last week miscommunicate, and then this week... Oh, they win in Ali's hometown, but no, they can't do that. Could win twice. People might get over. Yeah, granted. <laughs> but um, yeah, well, we'll go through it uh, and I'll point out all the moments where we want Wyatt or CM Punk was chanted or they inexplicably decided, you know what's a uh, good thing to talk about? Simone Biles' mental health. That's always uh, that's always going to do well, oh, isn't it? Jesus. Gosh. I thought, where are you going with this? And then she said, oh, I had a mental breakdown after I uh, lost the title. And I went, oh, well, that's not a good idea to mention that. Idiots. Fools running this show. But uh, they are they are giving Charlotte Flair that dialogue on the day that her father leaves the company. Yep. presumably to follow up on his nice dinner that he had with Jim Ross last week and sign to work with her future husband as if the red carpet already wasn't being rolled out in Jacksonville for one of the four horsewomen and they are giving her that. Just atrocious. Anyway, let's start at the beginning of this show because uh, we opened with the WWE champion, Bobby Lashley, coming out flanked, of course, by MVP. Uh, big reaction. From the fans, uh, MVP welcomed Chicago back to Raw. They cheer because they've said where I am. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, he said, oh, everyone's here and they want to see Goldberg. Turns out that wasn't the case. Massive booze when he says Goldberg's <laughs> name, uh, which changed the cheers. Uh, and Michael Cole uh, later on. But uh, we'll get to that in due course. Talks about MVP, talks about Goldberg coming back, challenging Lashley for a title shot and said, look, Goldberg's Goldberg. He'd probably beat any man on the roster. But Goldberg didn't challenge any man. He challenged the almighty. He said Goldberg's final match, uh, this match might be his final match if he faces Lashley. And he said, do you want to be remembered as a casualty? And then suddenly, as if someone had pressed a button, let's say, the fans started chanting for Goldberg. And he made his entrance (laughs) and the fans are cheering. Goldberg comes out. And uh, says, Lashley looks scared. He says, are you ready for a challenge? And the fans go, and that's our cue. We want Wyatt. Goldberg says, it doesn't matter if I'm, I can't remember what ages he said, any age, basically. I think he said he was 100. If he was 104, he'll he'll always be Goldberg. Yep, that's how being yourself works. He says, he lives by the spear and Lashley will die by it. Uh, And he told Lashley that he's next at SummerSlam, and he walked to the back, briefly stopping to say hello to his son, who I genuinely can't believe is the same person. Like, no offence, but I thought he was still a little 
you know, chubby kid, basically. He was in there with his dad. And now it's got to be Goldberg's son versus Hook at WrestleMania 50 for me. Like, is your main event right there? But anyway, in the midst of all this, obviously Lashley and MVP realise that that is Goldberg's son. And they go up and they berate him and tell him that that Lashley's going to kill his dad, basically. And in the midst of all that, uh, his son was called Gage, by the way. Uh, I, I know, no, I'm assuming it's not his love of former GCW champion, but who knows? Who knows? Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, of course, Lashley goes back in the ring to pose with the belt. MVP speared out of his goddamn shoes, as we predicted on the preview yesterday by Goldberg. And uh, yeah, well, this set up a bit later on. I'll just uh, talk about it now, might as well, where they went, oh, bloody hell. MVP was still selling this beer to fair play to him two hours later. And they went, oh, I suppose we better have a match at SummerSlam now then. And it's official, Michael Hamflet. Yeah, um, Spear was great. Spear and MVP was great. Um, they came up with a nice way to arrive at the Spear. As you say, Gage Gold, everybody was booking Gage versus Hook. Um, I want to see Gage. This is a new one for our listeners. I want to see Gage put his dad on his shoulders now. That's <laughs> I uh, gauge versus hook, book it. Um, so yeah, Spear was cool. Rest was pretty drab, wasn't it? Um, of all the ways to, I understand, I guess, the reason that you would want to keep Goldberg and Lashley's physicality to a minimum. There's probably not a lot there to tease. The SummerSlam match is not going to go five minutes. So if you give stuff away in the build, what have you got for the night? I, I get it. I get it. But then these are the traps that you fall into when you're booking Goldberg in a big match, I guess. Um, yeah. And they've they've got to be a little bit more creative than that in these face-to-faces. I don't have the answers because I think involving his son was decent enough. I was less keen on Goldberg's weird tangent about if Bobby Lashley himself. Oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> I think I messed it left that out because I just didn't want to talk about it again. It was all a bit. Like, I think he got a bit lost in it as well. Like, crap your pants, uh, take your pants off. Is that what you, what you say? <laughs> so I just, I just felt like he got a bit lost in whatever gag he was asked to deliver. Like, just do the line, Bill. You're next. Way. Like, he where, got there with it. Where did you get your pants? At the toilet store. <laughs> <laughs> You want garlic sauce for that. Um, so, <laughs> I too boring. Fundamentally, fundamentally too boring for Bill Goldberg versus Bobby Lashley. Somebody shows you that graphic. Somebody lets you know that it's official and you expect something a little bit more dynamic than what we got. But I did like MVP getting speared. Yeah, they, they, they took three weeks and three segments to get where they are when they could have done it in yeah but i get oh, that. Yeah. they dragged it out it's, it is what it is they gotta kill three hours at the end of the day uh right <laughs> then we got a handicap match it was shanky and fear they're ginger heavies <laughs> versus <laughs> mcintyre who i mean got a big reaction particularly by michael cole michael hamlet well, he's a 16-time champion, isn't he? Look, we're going to take the piss out of this because it was a production error, not because it was WWE getting caught for sound sweetening. There are various examples, if you want to find them, of sound sweetening happening on these shows. 
this was somebody has gone to the trouble of finding the exact video package that this Michael Cole dialogue was pulled from. It's something to do with John Cena and Roman Reigns at SummerSlam and this video package obviously like was pressed play on from the truck. But why was anybody pressing buttons in the truck? Mm. Those are the questions you've got to ask yourself. If Drew McIntyre is a perfectly over baby face, surely there is no need for buttons in the truck. But yes, rather than pressing, I don't know, Angela.wav, somebody pressed the button for the John Cena Roman Reigns SummerSlam promo instead. So we got what we got. Yeah, McIntyre makes his entrance. And yes, we are informed that the sword, which is a claymore, which just mm-hmm. just call it that because of the, the claymore. Yeah. But he's, is, he's is it because though? He obviously he can't use this, but you know, if he was to like slice up Veer and Shanky a bit like Nick Gage did with Jericho's pizza cutter, mm. would they then have Angela's gashes? You bastard. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Jimmy Smith on commentary notes that the sword is now called Angela, which is a dedication to Drew McIntyre's late mother. So that's why that is basically very nice. Yeah, exactly. Um, so McIntyre is being both of them up to start with. Then they send him shoulder first into the ring post. Uh, they start beating him down. QCM punk chance, of course. And then rapidly just noise.wav effectively played there. McIntyre fights back, uh, hits a neck breaker on Veer, sets, uh, sends Shanky to the floor. He's going to do the Claymore countdown. Shanky grabs his leg. Mahal jumps in with a chair. DQ in like three minutes. They all grab a chair and you think, oh, right, well, who's going to run out to, to make the save to even the odds for Drew McIntyre? No, he grabs a sword. He grabs his sword. <laughs> I think he was planning, if, if, if they'd stuck around, on murdering all three of them. What actually happened, though, was Mahal swung a chair. McIntyre knocked out of his hands with the sword. He then hit Veer with a Glasgow kiss and pointed the sword again threatening to murder Shanky who just froze <laughs> like human statue style then they all just leg it to the back and Kevin Patrick grabs them as they are running out saying bloody hell what's happening out there and if I, if it was, if I was in the hall rather than saying oh yeah well karma's going to get you Drew McIntyre which is what he said I'd say did you see him he had a sodding sword <laughs> doesn't <laughs> Doesn't mega work this to sit? Drew afterwards was like doing his like cool hand Luke line. He was like, You got three choices, lads. You can have, was it the hospital, the graveyard, or the sword? Was that yeah. what he was basically giving? Surely option C is going to result in A and B. <laughs> like, you're not going to, well, I'll take the hospital because A, I don't want to be dead. D, I don't want to be cut to bits with a sword. The car, it's, we've said this before. You know how like Vince used to say that. WWE doesn't do murder. They'll do like attempted vehicular homicide, but they won't do murder. Mm. It's this is why you can't have it's the old Andy Bernard in the office. I am killing Phyllis with a chainsaw. (laughs) There are certain things you can't buy within the stretch rules of this universe. Drew threatening them with a sword is one of them. Like, what's his end game? I'll cut your head off. I'll cut your head clean off. Like, are they? And this match feels at this point like it needs a stipulation, doesn't it? Mm. Related to this. Are you gonna is it gonna be like the San Francisco 49ers match in WCW? But instead of boxes on poles, on one pole you've got Jinder's chair, on another pole you've got Drew's sword, and then on two more poles you've got Veer and Shanky. And whoever <laughs> climbs up 
whoever climbs the pole and retrieves the object can use it. So it's like early doors. Ginger's got Shanky, and then it becomes a handicap. It has to like rescue him down from a pole, and then he can use him for a bit. Um, I it feels like it's you know they're apply they're adding all the bells and whistles they can to a really boring SummerSlam match, and I can't be too angry with that because we've got something to talk about. Yeah, it's sword stuff. But how on earth do you apply this to the match itself? That I don't have the answer for, because it can't be a sword. No, I think, well, for me, he's going to say, oh, if you can just use weapons hanging around at ringside, I think we should roll back the years. It's time for another Symphony of Destruction, man. <laughs> That's oh, what's going to yeah. happen. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Or like, because like, what was where did all this start with? It's been a lot of objects this week. Motorbike, wasn't it? Motorbike. Motorbike stuff. Yeah, he broke his sword, so he broke. I've not even started talking about her yet. Shut up. Right, I'm unplugging her. She's unplugged. I didn't Drew, even mention her yet. Drew smashed that chair. Yeah. He broke the chair. I said, objects, like, I think they're going to just hang stuff off poles at SummerSlam. That's the, like, can't just have a generic street fight now that there's been swords and motorbikes involved. I like Symphony of Destruction, and they open up the piano and Heath Slater sits up like The Undertaker. That's what I'd do. But... <laughs> Hashtag LTST. <laughs> oh, God. Right, anyway, let's move on to uh, Rhea Ripley versus Nia Jax. And, uh, God, I'm a ghoul. Because I really liked the, to quote Andy Maurice, uh, write-up of what happened here. Crimson mask that Nia Jax mm. was wearing after this. Uh, back and forth. Uh, I like the, I do always love this, uh, this genuine LTST. Stop trying to hit certain people with headbutts because it won't affect them. Tamina, Nia Jax, Samoans in general, basically. We know the rules. We know the rules. So yeah. the Rhea Ripley did that and Nia Jax just no-sold it. And I did enjoy that. And then, uh, yeah, uh, Rhea Ripley gets posted by Nia Jax. And then Nia Jax sort of sandwiches her. She sort of hip attacks her between the ring posts and that slap that did look really brutal to be fair uh to to, mm. to knock her down eventually Rhea Ripley fights back uh she goes for the riptide jacks uh breaks free and uh sends her into the post again goes for what she did before but this time Ripley's moved uh Ripley goes for a cannonball off the apron jacks moves out of the way so she just nails Shayna Baszler with it um so Jax jumps Ripley because she's recovering from that and hits a Samoan drop against the barricade that looked really good as well Ripley hits a hurricane runner off the second rope to come back. Uh, missile drop kick in amongst all this. I think it was around the, the hurricane runner, something like that. That's when Nijak got, got busted open. Uh, just, yeah, just really added to it as, as morbid as that sounds. Jax misses a splash, but she comes back, hits a leg drop, gets a near fall. Ripley goes to the riptide. Baszler jumps up on the apron for a distraction. Jax gets out of it. Um, Jax Runs at Ripley. Ripley moves. Jax gets rolled up. One, two, three. Post-match, there's an argument between Jax and Baszler. Baszler takes the jacket off and gets a huge bat. Please realise, please, there's still a chance. Please. <laughs> do something. Baszler walks out, so the audience are a bit pissed off. But then, Ripley, the, the jolly good baby face she is, it's not Jax with a riptide afterwards. But... For a match that I would have been completely indifferent about had we previewed, I was pleasantly surprised by this hamlet. Yeah, me too. This was weirdly effective because it had a lot of the problems that we regularly raise with Raw in particular. And yet 
everything seemed to go down really well with the crowd. And for the first time in forever, I actually gravitated towards something Rhea Ripley was doing. It was very clear to me who she was for a change, not just in the post-match shenanigans, but in the match itself. Mm. I could buy her as somebody that can take on and defeat anybody. Size advantages be damned, numerical advantages be damned. As a baby face that can overcome the odds, Rhea Ripley can do this. Almost as if we've been told the story once before, um, super effectively. Almost as if once out of 80 weeks or whatever it was, WWE won a ratings war with this once. Like, just super effective use of Rhea Ripley again. And Nia Jax, because she was sort of the perfect opponent here. I didn't, the finish was a little bit botched. Mm. Uh, the timing of the Baselayer getting on the apron, Jax running the bumper off, which undermined it slightly. But I didn't even mind the roll up. If WWE didn't do 50 roll ups a week, then every now and then a roll-up would be fine. This being an example of that, because the whole point was supposed to be that like Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler's relationship has become untenable, and Jax couldn't have taken the riptide because then she'd have had to sell it and you wouldn't have been able to have the argument after the fact. A roll-up made sense because she still needed to be compassmentous to have that row. And then they gave Rhea Ripley the riptide anyway, just to say, well, I still can. I just didn't need to there. So I've got the strength. I've got it in my locker to be able to do this to Nia Jax. So, I, yeah, a, a lot of things that often, it's funny how you just move a couple of pieces around on the board and suddenly all the usual nonsense can make just a little bit of sense in front of a hot crowd. Because I feel like we've seen several different versions of this kind of stuff and it always feels like a total mess. But on this night, everything felt quite right. And what was pretty cool is that, yes, Rhea Ripley is engaged in this triple threat match at SummerSlam. But in Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler's split and Rhea Ripley starting to reassert herself again, maybe there's the semblance of a women's undercard and not everything has to be about the belt. Maybe they're actually going to start to try. Oh, God, I said it again. But this was good for tonight. Yes. Uh, then we got uh, Mustafa Ali and Mansoor, uh, the newly formed tag team against Tumor and Mace, formerly of Yeah. Again, uh, as we mentioned, uh, Mustafa Ali, massive reaction from the Chicago ground, understandably. And uh, they they told the story initially really well. He immediately gets jumped. He's not starting the match. Mansoor is. Mansoor gets isolated by the heels. Um, T-Bar knocks Ali, Ali down again. Uh, hits a springboard elbow for a near fall. Eventually, Mustafa Ali gets the hot tag, runs wild, dives onto T-Bar, who's at ringside. Uh, simul simultaneously, Mansoor dives onto Mace, who's uh, also there. Uh, and then Ali hits T-Bar with a DDT for a great near fall. In amongst all this, though, uh, Ali tags in Mansoor, and I assume goes to the top for an 054, although I don't think he does that move anymore. Regardless, he's on the top rope, but T-Bar sends Mansoor into the ropes. That crotches Ali. Uh, Mansoor tries to recover, gets up on the turn back, turnbuckle, but Mace distracts him. T-Bar grabs Mansoor uh, and slams him into the turnbuckle, gets the victory. Post-match, the heels uh, look like they are going to beat down these two poor bastards. But Mustafa Ali sends Mansoor, hoys him out of the ring to save him and takes the beating himself, eats a double choke slam. Like I say, it makes sense in terms of a nice story with the developing relationship between Mansoor and Ali. It just, they can't help themselves when someone's in their hometown, can they? No, this wasn't the place to do this and it wasn't the place to do it in the feud either. Um, so geographically and narratively, I feel like this was an enormous misfire. They just can't help themselves. Um, even when 
Mansour took the pin, it was as if they attached the post-match to this, as if to say, well, just in case the fans are still enjoying themselves, let's make sure that like Ali takes a beating as well off his <laughs> former mates. Um, yeah, really sucked the wind out of the crowd that weren't exactly hyper-inflated to begin with. Just, it was a nothing match, but the good stuff was the Mansour and Mustafa Ali high spot stuff, the stuff yeah. that could potentially bind them as a tag team long term or even medium term before a split, before the, the separation that will inevitably come. I just, I just, as it does a lot of the time, and it's, we mention them on here when it's worth a mention, the opposition have shown the obvious again which is how to get somebody over in their hometown, how to benefit, how to use the benefit of a location. And WWE are just set in this toxic vortex of never doing it for, not never, but like more often than not. Mm. It's enough that it's, it's enough that it's the old time honored take that a guy's going to lose in his hometown because somehow it makes it more feasible for people buying tickets the next time. Like who left that building tonight and was like, where, where are you going? I'm just going back to the car. I'm going to catch my train. <laughs> no, you're not. You're coming with me to the box office because we need to be here the next time so that we can see Mustafa Ali get his win back. <laughs> that that was once the rationale for this. And absolutely nobody thought that when they were leaving the All-State. And I just, I wish they would get this out of the system because he got the biggest pop of the night and you could have galvanised that with a second win for this team so they can start putting a run together. If you want to do this exact thing, do it in like four to six weeks time when fans have actually been given a reason to care about this team all over the country and you can do it in any state. A, a, a real misfire this for me. Uh, they'll, they'll they'll beat T-Bar and Mace next week. Hmm. Like there was a time when people used to campaign for best of seven series on TV because it was a rarity. Now this will be the first feud of the Mansour Musfar Ali team and it won't even be classed a feud. They'll just wrestle seven times. Yeah, I, I, I'd bet now we might get these this these four working on the kickoff show to SummerSlam, for example. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, could see that. Right, let's talk about this Charlotte Flair promo. Because there was some good stuff in there. The way she counteracted the Becky chants by saying, oh no, mm. Becky's not here. I'm the one who sold out the arena sort of thing. Great stuff. But my word, Charlotte Flair talks about Simone Biles. She, of course, withdrew from the Olympics uh, due to mental health issues, which unless you're an idiot like Piers Morgan, is perfectly all right, genuinely a good thing to be promoting, if anything. Mm. But not something you can then tie to Nikki A.S.H. winning money in the bank and cashing in and saying that you had a nervous breakdown the morning after you lost the Raw Women's Championship. Just, they pick the worst things to, like, draw a connection to within terms of, like, current affairs. It's maddening. Mm. But, yeah. Flair's completely furious about her history with the Money in the Bank briefcase. She's hoying kendo sticks and a chair and a broom into the ring while she's talking. Talks about being cashed in on three times. Rants about Nikki cashing in. Promises to murder her later. And in the midst of all this, Nikki A.S.H. being the superhero that she is, jumps in the ring and twats over the chair and celebrates as Flair rolls out of the ring. I don't know what this achieved. It just killed a bit of time, I suppose, Hamlet. That's exactly what it did, wasn't it? Is it killed a bit of TV time? The crowd liked Nikki's attack. So we probably have to be generous there and say that, like, well done for 
presenting her in a way that the audience were pleased with before they got her for the match later on. Not a failure by any means, unlike the invoking of Simone Biles. So often, WWE or the old white dudes that control it don't know what they don't know mm. when it comes to how when it comes to how to use real life um race sexuality mental health whatever all of this through the prism of a 70 odd year old fella Vince McMahon who has kept himself insulated from the real world even when he was in his prime years you know so it's just I so needless to otherwise make what was quite an interesting point um feeling livid and feeling despairing that three times she's been cashed in on. That's quite a cool way of putting yourself over. I'm such a dominant champion that it's taken people with a briefcase to beat me. Three of my title reigns have ended as a result of somebody with a briefcase. Quite interesting that. It's never something I thought about. Um, rest of it was the sort of stuff that is fine if you don't feel like the main event has been sufficiently sold or you want to hopefully keep people around to watch the rest of your show. I, I couldn't hear it. I just think it was massively undermined by the Simone Bar stuff and I, uh, the Nikki stuff's weird. Like, I think we'd just be fully critical of it in the Thunderdome, but the live crowd seems to enjoy it. So you kind of have to give a little bit and say, well, mate, maybe that was the Nikki Ash they wanted to see. Mm. Then we got Durap versus Tamina. Did like Tamina coming out wearing both belts. That was great as a nice little mm. dedication to Natalia, who's obviously still recovering from injury. Didn't appreciate the slow-mo. Here's hey, how someone really injured themselves. Uh, from- <laughs> oh, God, I know. No, mention it. To show the image of her and uh, TJ uh, coming out of the hospital or whatever. But I don't need to see a replay of, of her physically getting injured with a nice slow-mo and a, and a circle or, you know, highlighting. Here's where her knee mm. exploded or whatever it was. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it is uh, Tamina vs. Boudrap. Tamina uh, initially does does well, hits a splash in the corner, climbs up to the top. But uh, Marie, even Marie, that is, of course, uh, who's flanking Dewdrop, uh, she distracts her. That allows Dewdrop to take over. Elbow drop for, uh, from the second rope for a two count. More CM Punk chance here by the Chicago crowd. Uh, Dewdrop hits a senton uh, for a near fall in amongst all this. Tamina's knocked down, basically. She's recovering. And even Marie instructs Dewdrop to hit the crossbody to win the match. But there's the moment of listening to what she's saying and turning around and executing it. That allows Tamina to recover sufficiently. She moves. She hits a Samoan drop. One, two, three. Tamina defeats Dewdrop because of miscommunication between Eva Marie and her young protege. And then who should appear on the screen post-match? But I can say it because I've unplugged it. The one Alexa Bliss who's, I suppose, paying a sort of tribute with her gloves again to, to, to Bray Wyatt. Uh, but it's not just her. It is, of course, on the screen. <laughs> and she does the reverse of what normally happens, which is when Dewdrop wins. Eve Marie announces that she's won the match. Alexa Bliss announces the loser of this match, Eva Marie. Oh, I mean, I don't have much to say on the match because there wasn't much to say about it um, other than a Samoan do-drap for the win obviously for Tamina <laughs> uh, what's getting lost in the really rubbish presentation of why Eva Marie and Doudrop would hang out with each other they're not like exploring why they would get along considering that they're constantly there's miscommunity was it the second week of the story where these two fell out 
where mm. Drap was stood on the apron and then dropped down for the tag. And it was like, uh, uh, uh. It's like, so what have you already split? Are we two weeks in? And now they're just still doing this. It's impossible to invest, impossible to invest in any kind of believable union between these two. But what's making it worse is that how nobody is really talking about the fact that Piper Niven's pretty great. Yeah. There's lots of evidence out there. If you want it, it's not that hard to find. Um, even in something as sterile as NXT UK, it's she's really good. And this isn't exploiting her skills whatsoever. Um, she can, I guess, she can do this. She can apply herself to the very functional television match and that'll probably stand her in good stead. And I get the feeling internally they like the Eva Marie and Dewdrop pairing and they've put her with Alexa. I feel like this will be a priority programme, but what are we like? What are we as fans being asked to think about any of this as an act, as a feud, as a program? Who are the baby faces? Who are the heels? What's the motivation for anybody really? Then, like, they're missing so many key details. Of they want you to see uh, Eva Marie and Dewdrop versus Alexa Bliss and Lily as a tag match at SummerSlam, and they want you to see that. But nobody has stopped to think about what we're all supposed to feel about it. And I think that's like an enormous problem, um, especially considering that one of the characters has got magic power and another one is a doll. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Well, let's continue with our review. I just, I just point out what I, on the very, on the off chance this is the first time you've listened to this podcast, and for that matter, you don't watch Raw. Like I, I wouldn't rule that out. 
I'm not being a misogynist. It's a doll. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not being a 50s pervert, isn't I? Hey, it's that Alexa Bliss and some doll she's hanging out with. It's it's an actual toy. More on that later. Welcome to the Raw Review. Welcome to the Raw Review. Thanks for listening. Let's continue with our review of Monday Night Raw, though, because backstage uh, it was Riddle and Damien Breeze who got a great reception from the Chicago crowd, both of them, to be fair. Um, mm. And uh, there you go, the usual comedy bollocks that I'm not going to be asked to write about. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. oh, isn't it funny? Yeah. Uh, he talks about a goldfish. Uh, I don't know. Regardless, he says he's not worried about Riddle. This is says he's not worried about facing uh, Big George almost later because uh, he's got the power of Randy Orton pumping in his blood. And uh, Priest says, "Yeah, I'm not that bothered about going on this TV either because of what happened with Bad Bunny at WrestleMania, which just feel like a lifetime ago now, doesn't it?" Mm, it does, yeah. Um, which is nice in that. I guess that's a compliment to Damien Priest because he, you're right, there was a, a reaction for both of these two. And WrestleMania was forever ago and Priest's not been there all the time because of various injuries. He had a match with a bunch of zombies and the fans still care. So mm. they are they continue to not fail Damien Priest. Yeah, uh, and he popped up on Miss TV following this and Miss. I don't know why he booked him as a guest, if I'm honest. I presume he doesn't have any good <laughs> of the guests he booked because he hated him, uh, understandably. Uh, he said Priest was the one who put him in a wheelchair. Uh, he talked about the fact that he took advantage of an injured Sheamus last week. And uh, as, as Priest was responding, there was a CM Punk chat. I did like Damien Priest's face in this. He, he didn't look like he was phased by it. He just thought, oh, what are you bloody like, eh? With this, these uh, <laughs> CM Punk chats, which was uh, reassuring. Uh, he talked about, you know, how much of a knobhead Miz is uh, and his, his history of having to deal with people like Miz in the past. Uh, he says, is this injury even legitimate? Which, yeah, makes sense. Miz was at that softball game, wasn't he? Some celebrity softball game. If you, <laughs> yeah. you know. uh, and uh, Miz was just apoplectic at this, the fact that he never got injured before. And, and as soon as he faces Priest, that's what happens. He says, I'd slap the taste out of your goddamn mouth if I wasn't injured. Morrison gets in Priest's priest face. Moist wanted. America's Moist wanted and all that. Lots of mm. water references that pop me. Uh, threatened him with a dripstick. Uh, priest says, look, what are you two? No one wants to grow up. No kids want to grow up and be like either of you. And Miss said, well, yeah, yeah, well, John Morrison will take care of you if you're not careful. And Priest went, you know what? I came out here to challenge Seamus, but bollocks to that. All right, let's have it out. Me and you, John Morrison. Miz tries to use the dripstick, but Priest stops him and throws Morrison out of the ring and soaks Miz. Uh, <laughs> this was ridiculous, but what you'd come to expect from this sort of thing. And I thought Priest handled himself well here. Soaks Miz. Covered in spunk. <laughs> um, I, yeah, this was... I think it's pretty rich of Miz to complain about getting an injury in that match, considering that Morrison was eaten to death by zombies. If anyone's got a bigger complaint out of the original Damien Priest-Miz match, it's John Morrison. Um, I, this was, unfortunately, um, a setup to something that we've seen so many times it's impossible to feel too much for. But I'm with you. I, I think Priest handled himself pretty well. It's such a strange way we have to grade wrestlers now. It's never like, oh, who's consistently getting over and then being booked to match how they're getting over. It's always who got through a minion segment and didn't look like an arsehole. <laughs> who can get rolled up and still keep their heat? It's honestly like you just, 
you just like I know we put over the Bobby Lashley assault course all the time, but they are basically being given figurative assault courses to run once mm. a week, and then if they manage it that week, it's on to the next week's assault course. And uh, Damien Priest continues to survive assault calls after assault calls because I he was over he was over after all of this. Fans were cheering him for getting these two heels. It's a credit to Ms. Morrison. They're they're pretty good with any old nonsense they get thrown. But I just it's going to be a lucky. They're not good. They're lucky to <laughs> have the guys that they've got. Well, then we got the match: Damien Priest versus John Morrison. Skip, skip. <laughs> I've seen it. I've I've seen I've seen it four hundred times, mate. I, I cannot. <laughs> Can we can we skip the one that came afterwards as well? Of course we can. Of course we can. Where was how long did that like tag team match go? That can't have gone longer than like five minutes. What was what was five minutes of Raw going to be filled with before on who backstage was ready to be like, oh tonight's the night? Who was Liv Morgan on the show? I can't wait to get my match. The network crew are filming me for a documentary. Sorry, I've been cut as an impromptu tag live. I'm really sorry. <laughs> oh, right then. Like, I wonder who that was. Can't I believe will... they managed to slot it in. I will say I did like Morrison hitting a Samoan drop over the ropes. That was bonkers. Of course you did. They're all great. <laughs> they're, they're all great. Ask me to care about one of the spots and you'll be on a losing battle, but they're all great. I'll, I'll try and be better with this. Priest hit a choke slam on Morrison for the win initially. Seamus runs out, attacks him along with the help of all the other heels. Ricochet comes out to make the save. And then, yes, we get Ricochet and Damian Priest versus Seamus and John Morrison. Ricochet hits a moonsault onto Seamus on the outside. Morrison tries to win via a little cradle, but uh, Priest recovers, hits the reckoning, and pins John Morrison again, poor bastard. So, yeah, two victories for Damian Priest, both of them pinning John Morrison. But enough of all that. It's now time for this. It's short, it's crap, it's wrestling-related. The five-star review review. Nailed it! Do you want to do the noise, or...? I, I absolutely can't. Wait a minute. Like, so the jingle's just played in my head at this point. 16-time world champion! <laughs> and this week's five-star review review is brought to you by Max Robinson. Uh, if you want to suggest a five-star review review, you can do so by subscribing to What Culture Wrestling on iTunes and leaving us a five-star review for suggesting something short, crap, and wrestling-related for us to review instead of something on Monday Night Raw. And this is a, I got a lovely email from Max regarding this uh, as well. It reads... Hello and welcome to my five star review review with me, Max Robinson. First of all, men, I want to tell you how big a part of my day you guys have become. I listen to all of the podcasts and this is the news, ups and downs and just the general good fun videos that you guys produce every day, whether it's in my works van at home or, or at home when I get half an hour's peace from the kids. Uh, with Wilborn's brilliant humour and positivity and general feel good banter, Sidgwick's on point ripping apart of something that WWE does that's, let's be honest, is total bollocks but sometimes you can tell in his voice that he's willing it to do better like myself and still deep deep down in his body there's still a slight fan in there of world wrestling entertainment or hamlet's brilliant analysis and an encyclopedic mind hopefulness and again positivity you guys are the perfect trio for a podcast and i value your opinions in high regard i genuinely feel like the three of you are so down to earth and great mates which radiates through your work. Thank you for that, Max. Uh, he says, for my five-star review review, could you please review the Monday Night Raw segment in 2006, which featured Umaga 
destroying Steve-O and Chris Pontius from Jackass. Also, I'd recommend you watch the video on YouTube where they both look back at it and chat about what happens. Thanks again, guys. Keep up the fantastic work. Max Robinson. P.S. I've obviously given the podcast five stars on Apple Podcasts. Thank you for that, Max. Yes, let's talk about this. Great suggestion uh, for the five-star review review from Max. Tell me about the backstory here between the lads from Jackass and Umbarga. Yeah, so this was a lot of something and then suddenly a lot of nothing. Um, 2006 was when Jackass 2, I want to say, was out in mm-hmm. the cinemas and doing really well. Um, so naturally, all the, the cast and crew were out and about doing the various promotional spots, which is what fundamentally this was for a night. Um, they were going to appear on Raw, and as is the wont of some celebrities, get physically involved. But much of this was the building of a relationship between WWE and Jackass that never came to full fruition. Um, it was Shane McMahon, I believe, the ever youthful boy wonder himself, still with his finger on the pulse, um, that wanted to factor in Jackass quite heavily into the promotion of SummerSlam 2007. Obviously, the movie would have been probably in the DVD cycle by then, so they could still drag out promotion in a different way. You could do this segment with Umaga here, and then immediately they've got um, beef, I guess, with a wrestler. You can build in that there's enough for them, so you can build in a couple of different things. I have no doubt that the uh, the Divas would have been horribly exploited. It really would have been an ugly old time. Um, and then Jackass, which I love, by the way, um, you know, Jackass peaked in about sort of 2000, 2001, and I was 16, 17, perfect age for Jackass. So I've got like deep affection for Jackass, but they knew what that show was and they never, I don't believe anyway, ever took this concept too seriously. They always kind of understood what it existed for and who it was to entertain. And then when WWE was so ensconced in the scandal coming off the back of the Benoit family tragedy, Jackass, of all things, felt it necessary to take the moral high ground and say, we can't be associated with that. Our brand is still enough that WWE, you are too toxic and derided by the public for jackass. <laughs> and and no more ever came. There was the odd guest spots that they would do. I believe Johnny Knoxville would later as a period yep. raw guest host. And I think, unless I'm mistaken, I'm sure Steve and Pontius and a couple of the other lads did bits and bobs again with WWE. But the big SummerSlam thing, I believe there's a poster out there with some of the guys in water and maybe Umaga's head floating above it, like the shark that's about to eat them or something like that. They had big hopes and big dreams. And then oh, WWE's horrendous 2007 put paid to that. And instead, all we have in terms of real memorable physical stuff is this as a monument to <laughs> just what a beating some of the jackass lads would have been prepared to take. Yeah, I watched the, as Max suggested, I watched the sort of reaction video that Steve owned and Chris Ponty has shot. Uh, a few years ago, uh, watching this all back. And it is fascinating. Apparently, initially, they were just going to go out there and go, hey, guys, uh, go, go and watch Jackass 2. And then <laughs> Vince, apparently, was the guy who was like, wait, we've got the Jackass guys. I mean, yeah, get them to do something physical. Uh, and uh, is it, it Todd Grisham, I think, comes out, introduces them, and they leap over the barrier and jump in the ring. And Steve himself says he's, uh, I'm going to put this, Medically influenced that evening. <laughs> back then, thankfully, he's uh, cleaned his life. Always great to see a story like that. And uh, he gets on the mic and he says, "We came here to do two things: kick some ass and whoop some butt." <laughs> and he pops, <laughs> he pops himself watching that back. 
Uh, and uh, Tom Grisham says, hey, well, great to have you in. But you're not part of the WWE universe, whatever they're bloody calling it back then. Who's your favourite superstar? Chris Pontius goes, that'll be me. Uh, which is... <laughs> I loved Chris Pontius back in the day. I tell you what, you know, do you know who's got real Pontius energy? Is uh, uh, Fandango, Johnny Curtis. Yes. He's always he's always like had that same Chris Pontius energy. The thing there's this twinkle in his eye that you know he's going to do everything he can to pop absolutely everybody in the room. And I've always felt that with uh, Fandango as well. Yeah. Uh, so they are joined in the ring by Armando Alejandro Estrada, who I really liked back in the day. I thought he was a fantastic mm. manager. Uh, and he basically saying, uh, "You guys say you're crazy, but you're not that crazy." And Stevo, understandably feeling. Invincible at that moment says, we will do anything. And he looks really serious if you see this back. Mm. He shoves Armando Alejandro Estrada, who says, well, I'm not going to do the accent. Well, I've got, I have a friend. No, I'm not. I have a friend I'd like you to meet. And his name is the Samoan bulldozer. You manja. No, sorry. That wasn't, that was if. Uh, <laughs> I always loved the way he used to say Umaga. Oh, what a guy. Uh, uh, Umaga, yes. And Umaga comes out. And basically, as the commentators are going, oh, bollocks, he's going to kill him. I love the shot. There's a brief shot where it cuts to Todd Grisham, who just goes, sorry, Steve, can I have the microphone, please? Thanks a lot. Good luck. Bye. And just gets out out of Dodge at that point. Uh, Wonderful... uh, contrast as well with JR putting over Omar Omaga huge saying he beat he beat Kane last week he he, he forced Kane to, to leave Monday Night Raw have to head to SmackDown he's unbeaten he's an unbeaten savage Steve-O's doing stretches in the ring <laughs> it's like I want to pull a hammy oh there we go so you're in there in there with Umaga but there's no fear from the jackass lads who've, who've been through worse they take off their shirts, they throw them into the crowd, and Steve-O goes to the top rope. And in the recap thing, he, go, he went, yeah, I had no idea if I was going to land this. I was all over the place, basically. And <laughs> nails a backflip landing on his feet. He backflips off the top rope, off the turnbuckle, and just perfect dismount on, on his feet. It was spectacular, this. It was a Pat Macca flip, wasn't it? Just... <laughs> Couldn't have imagined that what you're about to say actually happened, and it does. And as you say, lands with both feet, kind of pops himself again because it's oh, like that went got, that went fifty times better than I ever could have imagined. Gets a huge. Pop. He said, like in the recap thing, I genuinely couldn't believe that I'd landed it. To be honest, and I, <laughs> to, to which I think, like, if you don't think you're going to land it, why you're attempting a backflip? <laughs> like, yeah. Where where's that going to go? He's going to pile drive himself if he doesn't land it. I don't know, but regardless, like you say, huge pat from the crowd. Even Jerry Lawler has to go from like, what are these idiots doing? They're going to get... Oh, no, that's fairly impressive, actually. So, yeah, fair play. <laughs> so, did I miss hearing it? Or the first time, did uh, Jim Ross call him Stephen? Probably, <laughs> yeah. In that, in that same way that when he had to do that Rick and Morty nonsense, and it was like, wobble over, dub Because <laughs> sure he went... He went Stephen, and then you can just imagine Vince in his ear, like, Who the hell is Steve N? It's Steve Hoy, you an idiot. And then afterwards, like, you could feel JR correcting. That's right, that's Steve O. Yeah, you know, Steve O from the Jackass, Steve O, my friend Steve O, he's a, he's a crazy cat. I can never Steve. hear the 
goodbye song without thinking of JR. Like, how's he no, never? No, yeah, no. That's America. It's an American thing. No, 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 no. Hey, <laughs> hey, hey. They're like, what are you doing? Have you got like a, is there a delay on your headset with someone saying how you meant to say it? No, 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 no. Honestly, what you made basically is that. Anyway, so they square up to him, Margaret, and they think, I'm not going to, I'm not going to punch him initially. I mean, is this some beating Samoan? I'll tell you what I'll do. Steve-O, you get on my shoulders, Chris Pony. Steve-O, you get on my shoulders and I'll effectively Alabama slam you into Umaga. And Umaga just goes, thank you very much, grabs him. And I want to say it's a power slam, but he just sort of just goes, right, you're just going to eat this mat. Just slams him as hard as he can into the mat. He's clearly been told, yeah, these guys injure themselves quite regularly. He said, don't worry about it. They've got pretty good insurance, I guess. (laughs) Chris Bonney just stands there and goes, well, that didn't work, and just gets lariated by bloody Umaga, who picks Pontius up for a Samoan drop, but still has time to kick Steve-O as hard as he can in the, I believe the uh, technical MMA term is the solar plexus, just right in the centre <laughs> of his chest, kicks Steve-O over, Samoan drops Pontius, who doesn't move after that. Pontius, no. in the recap, says, oh my God, I cannot tell you how much that hurt. He said he woke up in the middle of the night afterwards and he couldn't breathe so that's what it feels like to eat a Samoan drop if anyone wonders this is the biggest best example of wrestling fake is it let's have a look at this shall we oh, now I realise it's kick Jesus oh, Christ so, his next kick so yeah apparently there's mixed reports about this Steve-O's talked about it on uh, Joe Rogan's podcast on Hot Ones and here Umaga's music place. He's laid out Steve-O. He's certainly laid out Chris Bonius, right? And he goes to leave and either he or Estrada or both of them realise that Steve-O is sitting up laughing at his mate who obviously took the worst of it all. And Umaga gets back in. Now, according to Steve-O, this was meant to happen. I'll get to the bit that wasn't. You can probably guess where it is because Umaga comes in, just kicks Steve-O as hard as he can in the centre of his back. The moment I watch this, I send, I always send the clips, obviously, to the boys. And normally they go, oh, thanks, and watch it, and save their takes for, for now. But you just messaged me about two minutes after I sent you the clip going, Jesus Christ, that kid in the back! Good here. Could hear Steve's spine crumbling to dust at the state of this kick. Good lord, because the camera's so well framed on Steve laughing, feels like a work, like a setup, like a oh, these jackass lads, no matter what happens to them, it's all about the laugh, it's all about popping each other, that kind of thing. Did nobody clue a marger in <laughs> because that was the boot of a man that felt extremely disrespected? So, so. He hits like a double chop to knock Steve-O down and then goes up and hits a massive splash oh. onto Steve-O, which, to which he said, that's some of the worst pain I've ever felt, basically. Yeah, it looked like it. I, for one, was shocked because I remember the safety of the three-minute warning attacks. <laughs> I couldn't believe this got out of hand. <laughs> Two semi-professionals. Oh, God, it was, yeah. Um, really believable because it was real. <laughs> so this apparently is the point where that was meant to be it. Big splash, makes sense. Big splash, music plays, cut to replays. Mm. Oh, isn't Umaga dominant? Thanks for coming, jackass lads. Go and see the movie after we've scraped them off to the mat, basically. But 
Chris Pontius says they could have emphasized more the idea of staying down because Steve-O is in horrific pain, real pain. But he doesn't lay still like Pontius. Like he's writhing around, banging the mat in agony. Oh my God, that hurts. Oh, normally that's what they do on Jackass. Yeah. You know, shove a firework up your ass or whatever it is, and you go, oh, bloody hell, that hurts. You don't just lay still and go, well, that's it. But he's moving around to which Estrada, or more specifically Umaga, takes that as no selling the splash, are you? (laughs) (laughs) So Umaga comes over, stomps on him, and he talked about this afterwards as well, Steve-O, just shoot elbows him in the head, like gave him a... (laughs) (laughs) Just... Just elbows him. Brock Lesnar. Oh, it's all right. I can hard way Randy Orton at SummerSlam. It's fine. That, but to Steve-O, and he's not even looking, doesn't even see it coming, nails him. And, oh uh, yeah, just God. keep beating him up as we go. Time to go to replays, I think. I think we've made our point. Just such an exhibition of violence by the end from a man that could. Uh, greatly missed Umaga mm. and a, a miscommunication that ultimately kind of gave us a happy ending because I'm sure, as you seem to have alluded to, Steve-O and Pontius can look back at this with wry smiles considering the industry that they've made their millions in. Aye, this is one of them occasions where things go wrong, but we can absolutely have, like, unadulterated fun at its expense yeah. years later. I f- I felt good watching this when often I would feel certain guilt. This was hugely entertaining. Mm. And... Uh, in- Maybe very excited to go and see the new Jackass movie, which is coming out, isn't it? Yes. Oh, what a tonic for the last year and a half. New Jackass. Can you do a lad's trip for that? I just thought. God, more than yes, absolutely. That that's I I've got mates that I went to school with who I would watch Jackass with. And I never until this moment have I realized that I'm looking down the lens at the exact person I want to see the new Jackass film with. Oh. Because I think some of them, I think some of them might have actually aged out of Jackass. <laughs> and yeah, I know through talking to you twice a day that we are right at the level, brother. <laughs> uh, right, we go to the comment section. Once again, these do not reflect the user myself, the Dadly Boys, or anyone at What Culture Wrestling. Apart from this first comment from Joey Clemenza, who writes, Thank you, What Culture, for letting me know this match actually exists. You're welcome, Joey. Nice one, Joey. Uh, Syed Ahmed, read the room. I mean, he wrote this a year ago. It says a year ago, but you know, it's one of those things where you don't know if it's that's exactly a year ago, so August 2020 or, you know, anything up to two years ago, because Syed writes, mm. well, I'm glad I live in a safer world since 2009. Oh, Syed, mate, read the room. Come on. Oh, God. Uh, Forbes723, you know, when you put something, someone points something out and you can't unsee it ever again. Armando Estrada always looks like he's about to sneeze. (laughs) (laughs) It's the snarl and he's, ooh, maga. It's spot on. That's a very good shout, that. Yeah, that's going to ruin every promo, that, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, Bernard Fnee writes, (laughs) imagine if he was in there with Haku or Meng. Jesus Christ. As a man who's done an interview with Haku, which ended with him Pretty much shoot choking me. Yeah, you don't want to. You don't want to be in there. 
I like the way the commentator has phrased that to suggest that they're like Haku and Menga different people and that Haku can split himself in two and there's suddenly two of them. Like the last thing you want is to be in a fight with one Haku or Meng, let alone both of them at the same time. Uh, yeah, I saw that comment, honestly. It gave me, I got to interview uh, as part of the, around the Bullet Club Block Party, we got to mm. interview Haku, which is obviously the infamous incident. <laughs> Subsequent to that, where <laughs> Miller uh, nearly got his head taken off by Haku, who didn't realise that eh, maybe conversations have happened prior to this that this was going to be very much a new Marga jackass vibe at that point, wasn't it? Yeah, because I always look back on that. I'm not sure if I've mentioned this before. So I'd interviewed Haku earlier, who was couldn't have been nicer, and uh, we had some. Fun. We scared. We we were scared. Oh my god! I I I've never. <laughs> I've never not strayed from my questions more. Normally I have like questions and I go like, oh, we'll see where it, yeah, maybe, ooh, maybe a bit of, ooh, a bit of a, nah. Well, I've got written down. <laughs> Thank you very much, Mr. Haku. See you later. And we did a fun little bit at the end. I'm not even sure this is, if this is out on video or not. Basically he chokes me. I, I ask him a question. He puts his hand around my throat and stuff. Oh, 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 still completely terrifying having a man because I know about Haku and his history. Yeah, so it's like, oh, he does know he's not going to choke me properly here. Right? <laughs> there's a split second when we had that incident at the Bullet Club block party where I almost went, I thought, like, oh, cool, go like, hey, Haku, it's me. You don't, he said, we're not really <laughs> kicking off. Can you imagine if I'd have stopped and gone, Haku, mate, it's me? <laughs> Bang, oh my god. <laughs> Never, never. That man has almost definitely heard, whether it be Haku, Meng, Tonga, he's definitely heard, leave it, mate, it's not worth it. Because yeah. this is a man that when he decides it's worth it, he's going to put your eyes out of your head. Never has he looked, no disrespect intended, and seen an Adam Wilborn going, leave it, mate, it's not worth it, trying to pull him back. God, let's go get a beer, like the old days. God, Wilbs and Meng, come on. Never. You imagine that cowboys, giants, Samoans, and all the people that have had to stop him killing a guy in a bar. <laughs> and then it's like, uh, Hakeem, mate, your, uh, your big mate from Chesterfield's telling you to leave it. I think, <laughs> I think it's time to go. Anyway, what else we got in these comment sections? Oh, God. Brilliant. What is the last image of the video that we watched? Do you remember? Um, was it the laid out boys? It's it's like boys laid out. Umaga's walking up the ring, and you get—I'm not joking. You might not have seen this because you might go, "Well, that's that then." 0.5 seconds of something else, which while I 09 highlighted, just never mind all that. Ooh, Maria's jumping around at the end. I'm not joking. It's oh, about a split second, and he's like, Ugh. second. I just—I mean, that is maybe less than a second of footage and it's like mate you're on the internet <laughs> just, just just you've watched it like 20 times because he's like pressing one second previously and she's like, yeah just keep, keep press going back <laughs> l shards 1991 writes i wish this was colin jost <laughs> strowman had done that to those boys from snl i know just i'll just keep shooting you up to be honest like <laughs> Uh, right, once again, these do not reflect the views of myself, Dad, the boys, or anyone what culture wrestling. As we conclude here, Ricky Limons writes, Drugs makes you strong. No, it doesn't. That is no. not what we're endorsing here at What Culture. It makes you an idiot who thinks, no, I don't need to sell this. It's a lot to do with why this never turned into a slam pay per view. Yes, exactly. Uh, but the big <laughs> takeaway here 
should comes uh, from Turtle Tube, who writes, weight overcomes strength anytime. Fufanu replies, keep thinking that way, fatty. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Max, for that. Oh. Oh. <laughs> it was so easy. I was scrolling you going, oh, I need the last comments to huh. keep, <laughs> keep thinking that way, Betty. It's that guy in The Simpsons, isn't it? Just shouting at Homer from across the street. Betty. Just a curse, surly, unnecessary dig. All the arseholes out there that feel like they've got to get the last word in at someone's <laughs> expense. It's an ugly world out there. Betty. <laughs> five-star review. <laughs> if you want to suggest one, subscribe to What Culture and leave us a five-star review on iTunes. We'll return to Monday Night Raw. Bobby Lashley accepted Goldberg's challenge. We've already mentioned that. And then we got Omos versus Riddle, which I think was Andy Murray's favourite match this week. He was buzzing about it <laughs> when we were chatting before the news. Almost gets interviewed uh, backstage. He's got his own entrance theme now. Uh, but before that, yeah, Kevin Patrick says, well, tell us about what happened last week. And almost uh, says, yeah, you know what I did with Riddle Scooter? It's going to be a spine this time. And he wasn't wrong because no. Riddle tries to literally get the jump on almost. Uh, he uh, tries to choke him out. Almost just flips him out, breaks free. Riddle gets in some shots, but almost recovers quickly, throws Riddle out of the ring, throws him over the barricade. Riddle just beats the 10 count, gets back in the ring, gets knocked out again, just beats the 10 count, comes back in, nails uh, Big Jord with a series of knees. Maybe he's got slight an, a slight opportunity here. Nope. After a few knees that genuinely do rock almost, he grabs him, oh, vicious clothesline, and then that slam, which... I'm going to call it the shouty slam from now on because he sort of grabs them and he didn't really do it much this week, but he certainly did it with the Viking ready. He sort of goes, what are you bloody thinking? And then just picks them up and slams them. I just thought this was just an awesome show of domination. It's a shame it had to be Riddle, but my word, was this a great reminder of what Omos can do in a, in a, a brief match that he's given? I mean, it's sort of perfect, this. Um, there's a reason, I think, why when crowds returned, they were not as into almost as they were AJ Styles, but into the fundamentals of their act as a team. And it's because of this preservation of almost as a giant. This was a hell of a gamble to book this singles match, you know, in a situation where you couldn't, you couldn't make up for something if it went wrong. You know, if Omos's aura was exposed here, then they were going to be in bother, but it was certainly intriguing to preview and think about. And it was a kind of, effective way to make it clear that Riddle cannot win these tag belts by himself. That's the story. You know, he got decked by them as a group last week. He's been hammered by the giant of the team this week. He might work a singles match against AJ Styles next week, and we'll see how that plays out. But it's a good job you hear voices in your head, because I didn't hear any in the building. And WWE promoted Randy Orton <laughs> live, locally, and on television. Where was he? <laughs> At this point, <laughs> you're thinking, Riddle, mate, I'd give up the coast. Even when WWE tell him to come into work, he still doesn't want to come and help you. What's the deal? <laughs> um, aye. 
I, I'm more convinced now than I was yesterday that the tag title match is on yeah. because I think they've done every they've done every version of I. Uh, Riddles up Creek without Randy Orton and the two of them together might be able to stop this this unit of AJ and Omos, which is fine. It's the it's the most of a babyface tag team versus the tag team champions for SummerSlam, so it, I can't really protest it. I just I think he probably could have done with being on this episode. Yeah, exactly. I was sat there. I'd already written my my notes for this going. Oh, Randy Orton returns, blah, blah, and then it finished, and I went, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what happened was they did a segment as we predicted in Alexis Playground because that way you can sweep the crowd and you don't have to hear any Wyatt chants anymore. <laughs> so uh, Alexa is there. She is, of course, joined by the one and only. <laughs> God, that, that was an entire song there. Uh, she talked about all the people that Lily has. Was it influenced by or influenced? Either way, she talked about Jack the Ripper. But before she can continue, doodrap, jumps Bliss. Uh, Eva Marie picks up the doll, says, oh, you yucky, you are. Brilliant writing, as always, WWE. Throws her on the ground. They walk off. Bliss is rolling around in pain. <laughs> and then <laughs> Lily stood up. And the fans crapped all over this. My word. What did they think this was going to get? Like, what was the reaction they were anticipating here? On the SmackDown preview, and look, WWE did it better. Sasha Banks and Bianca Belair stuff was brilliant. On the SmackDown preview, I asked for a callback to a fantastic SummerSlam build where The Rock and Brock Lesnar had naught but training montages and with them being such amazing physical specimens, that was kind of all you needed to sell that WWE title match. I did not expect us to get to see Lily showing us how she's going to be there for the hot tag. At SummerSlam by kipping up from an attack <laughs> by this tag team. But that's what I got, didn't I? Um, Lily is going to be placed in the corner on the post. And Alexa Bliss, in front of 40,000 plus people, is going to have to crawl to the corner with her arm outstretched. And then the lights are going to go off and then they're going to come back on. And then it's not going to be Lily because she's a doll, but it's going to be Alexa in Lily's outfit and she's going to suddenly be recovered. And do drop an Eva Marie aren't going to know what's hit them. What What do you, you ask the question? I don't know an answer. What do they expect live audiences to think of this? Kids wouldn't react to this. They would, and I got two of them. And I know what mine would do. They would ask me why this doesn't make sense, Dad. And not <laughs> I'm not positioning them as intellectual kids. I'm saying that they watch kids' television or Disney films or whatever, and they are exposed to clear narratives and fairly tight writing, and this is neither. <laughs> and they would want to know why this has skewed all of that. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I'm a man who loves a bit of sooty and sweep or bodger and badger or anything like that. This yeah. is a load of bollocks, though. Sorry, I just... Everybody knows Lily loves mashed potato. So <laughs> <laughs> what happens when she hits Nia Jackson real and busts her open. Right. Uh, let's move on, because uh, it's time for carrying crosses. <laughs> Spin the wheel. Uh, see what happens to you this week. He came out. He's running the <laughs> championship. They're not listening. Uh, but he fought Kidley, and I've tweeted about this. I have real, real mixed emotions. I had mixed emotions deciding what to write on Twitter this morning because 
on the one hand, I was going to be like, lol, the 24-7 champion is far better protected on this show than the sodding NXT, undefeated in NXT champion. And yet, I was like, but I am happy Keith Lee's won a match. And the way he came back was great. So I'd love to know your thoughts on that. I'll tell you what happened and then and then you will get your thoughts. Uh, we had a, an inset promo of Karrion uh, Cross holding an hourglass and promising to defeat Keith Lee. And they reminded us, hey, remember Keith Lee was good in terms of the week was booking him right and him smashing Randy Orton at payback last year. So Cross initially dominates, sends Lee over the top rope, but then... Uh, Lee lands on the apron and hits that amazing slingshot crossbody, all the stuff that he shouldn't be able to do for his size. It's always amazing. Cross, though, does come back, hits an exploded suplex and then hits a suplex into the steps, which did look pretty cool, to be fair. Lee, though, fights back, back elbow, headbutt, those awesome double chops, um, shoulder tackle, goes for the spirit bomb. But cross counters, hits a version of the sort of hidden blade, but not with the run up that he normally has. And it looks like he's going to do what he did last week, put the straight jacket submission on Keith Leon and, uh, and well, either tap him out or make him pass out effectively. But Keith Lee fights out of it. The fans are behind him. This massive Keith Lee chance. He breaks out. He hits the spirit bomb. One, two, three. Yes, Michael Hamlet, Karrion Cross has lost again. But <laughs> Keith Lee's won. And that's all right by me. Yeah, and I'll say this for this match. It wasn't thrilling or anything, but it did its best in showing what Keith Lee can do. And again, it's the weird curve. Keith Lee got a good response here. Here's my flex as per usual. I was in the building when Keith Lee and Roman Reigns were the last two in that Survivor Series match. That was a superstar response. Mm. This was a polite one there's a long road back for Keith Lee at this point if indeed it's a road he even wants to travel I don't know still kind of keenly watching that pin tweet of his wondering when, when we're going to get the story if indeed we do but I thought this was a pretty I, th- I felt like the agent in was to des- uh, designed to flatter Keith Lee uh, and, and not carrying cross but um, I just ah uh, this whole thing man I feel like I feel like I'm just watching the lamest game of 4D chess ever 10 years ago, Triple H is going like, there ain't a single guy in the back that's good enough to face the Undertaker. That's how he buries John Laurinaitis. 10 years later, John Laurinaitis gets his job back. Hey, boss, should we see if those NXT kids are any good? And then lays them out to have this dreadful 50-50 booking series to undermine Triple H. This is a ludicrous contest for Vincent Mann's affections um, and people's careers mm. are just left to drown as a result. Nobody's going to get over. Um, I, that slingshot uh, press... Grizzly Magnum, is it that he used to call it? Hmm. Uh, so cool looking, man. Keith Lee's the coolest looking guy when he does that stuff that Keith Lee shouldn't do. Um, but it's not going to get him over. In this. I don't want to like burst people's bubbles or anything. It's not going to make a star of him. He, They have got such a long way to go unless they want to just do this for the rest of the year and then come Royal Rumble time, he's just pouncing guys out of the ring like he did on Cole in NXT that time. Uh, I'd I, I don't see what I don't see what this type of booking can do because you know Cross has lost two now. So has Keith Lee. Mm. He was beaten twice. But was it Bobby Lashley that yeah. hammered him in that first week? Both so they're both. Yeah, yeah we're, th- we're three weeks in and they're both one and two. What chance has anybody got with that sort of nonsense, man? Honestly, and again, much like you said with the, the match earlier on, this is 
this is going nowhere fast that the only place you can see it ended up is a SummerSlam kickoff. We're going to have more predictions for the pre-show than we are the main card at this rate because <laughs> so many matches are on this identical cycle. Well, let's look at a champion who they can book well, and that's 24-7 champion Reggie, who explained his name change uh, was when he came in as a small yeah, Now he's just Reggie. I don't care. And uh, yeah, just <laughs> mad flippy bollocks here again. Uh, avoids uh, He's fighting Akira Tozawa for the 24-7 championship. Uh, backflips off the apron, uh, sits on the barricade. Tozawa charges at him. Reggie dodges it. <laughs> Reggie dives into the ring, flips out to the other side. Tozawa nails his own face on the bottom rope, trying to follow him. Tozawa yells, Ninja power! <laughs> but Reggie avoids him. Backflips. Hits that flipping scent on one, two, three. A fun bit of fluff. Ninja power, though. Do you know, ninja power. I'm not going to like fight the Akira Tazawa calls at this point. We're a lot of years in, but ninja power. You didn't even shout that when he had a literal gang of ninjas. What's this? What's his end game here? Either um, they're going too hard, too fast with our Reggie, aren't they? Like, this will be everybody will be sick of this really, really quickly. Like I say, if they can get to Vegas and we can have title changes mid trapeze, I think this is all going to be fine. But otherwise, I think his title change is going to be Reggie Blinker and you miss it. So, um, who knows? I will say, much like AEW um, segued from Tony... Thank you for that pop over. Segued from Tony Schiavone announcing the United Centre to uh, Darby Allen saying best in the world. So you could put those two things together for clues. I thought WWE did that here as well because they gradually started to put off the fans from Reggie right before they did the exact same thing with Nikki Cross. It was like, feel enthusiastic about this. Let's see if we can strangle that out here. Because <laughs> this promo afterwards was just a psych. We have tried to be really patient with this Nikki Ash character. I sort of hated her after this. Yeah, what was it she said? It's just like, oh, well, I'm going to batter her. That's what makes me almost a superhero. And then she ran about and made no oh, yeah. Yeah, like that, that little mini celebration to herself, for what prize? Being almost a superhero. Just because they like the name and they like ASH and they like Ash, have they forgotten what it stands for? (laughs) And that's the bottom line, because I'm almost good. (laughs) (laughs) Let's let's talk about the match instead, because it was really enjoyable. No holds barred, uh, Charlotte Flair versus (laughs) Nikki. ASA. The quite electrifying man. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> <laughs> I just think it like the reasonable warrior. Yeah, like they're just <laughs> these names, but you're decent, you know. Oh. I am the game because I am that damn. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was Charlotte Flair versus. Nikki A.S.H. And no involvement from Rhea Ripley. She was looking sideways at a television backstage while this was going on. Uh, Flair obviously is in control. She uh, takes Nikki out to the floor, suplexes her, spears her through the barricade. Big old reaction for that. Uh, And, yeah, dominates Nikki. Uh, Nikki at one point does get some offense in, goes for a flying crossbody, but Flair just kicked her in the face. Pins Nikki, but does the old... Not a kick out. She just pulls her up before the three so she can beat her up a little bit more. Uh, Flair gets some chairs from under the ring. 
But Nikki fires back. Tornado DDT off the apron. Flair throws Nikki over the barricade. Says nobody's going to cash on me, cash in on me again. Uh, Nikki attempts a crossbody off the barricades, but Flair catches her and power bombs her through the table. That's what the crowd wanted to see. Huge bat for that. Rolls Nikki in the ring. Does the old cocky Chris Jericho one foot on the chest pin, but Nikki kicks out. So Flair goes right. That's it. She's set a ch- table up well already, so she's going to spear Nikki into the table to finish the match. As she runs at her, though, Nikki dodges out of the way. Flair crashes headfirst through the table. We get a this is awesome chant. And then Nikki hits her twisting neck breaker thing off the second rope and pins Charlotte Flair. Celebrates afterwards. Loads of question marks as we head towards SummerSlam and that triple threat. But I really enjoyed this no old bod match and a good conclusion to Monday Night Raw. Yeah, I think I think I agree. Um, this was a, this was formulaic in the sense that, and I remember I feel like we caught a lot of criticism for saying this at the time, but this reminded me a lot of Roman Reigns versus Drew McIntyre from the Survivor Series that people mm-hmm. loved, and I just couldn't understand why because basically it was a video game match. You go to the piece of scenery once you finish your bar is full and press triangle, and then the animation will play, whether it be by the table, whether it be by the weapons under the ring, or whether it be by the barricade. It was just one after another after another after another. Difference here was. It felt like the first time the crowd had got to experience that rush in quite a long time, and then they were given one after another after another. So it kind of, you can't do this every week, and unfortunately, WWE probably will. But they were had the advantage of it kind of being the first time the fans had been afforded the opportunity to cheer at something like this. Mm. So it sort of got over in spite of itself. If I, I don't want to like seem like I'm complimented it with too much of a backhand, but because like, I didn't mind it. But that's exactly what it felt like. Go over there and do that special. Then go over there and do that special. Then go over there and do that one. And WWE were relying on that way too much. But this one was decent because the crowd were hot. And the finish was like a little bit banana skinny. Mm. You know, did ever really Nikki have much of a dog in this fight until Charlotte made the mistake. But, you know, she beat her last week. So that's, it might not be the story that makes the most sense or what people want to see, but it is the one they're telling. Mm that she was, she cashed in on her to win. When it was a fair fight, she lost. Um, the only way she's going to win is if Charlotte makes mistakes. Sometimes this works because what you get is over the course of like say a month or six weeks, it might start this way, but by the end, Nikki has found her confidence and as she's gone from celebrating, surviving in two minutes to beating the clock to being savvy enough to win a briefcase to being savvy enough again to cash that briefcase in to suffering a setback and then winning in the end. Very much Hangman Page-esque, isn't it? Don't you agree, Cedric? No, of course it's not. Um, No, it's like, it's that story, but horribly distilled and warped. Ultimately, she is gradually learning how to try and get this done and how to be a champion. This is absolutely fine if she wins a SummerSlam, but is it just me or are we fully expecting Charlotte to return the title just so Becky Lynch's music can hit after the fact? I don't know. I think the story just about works if Nikki wins at SummerSlam. If she doesn't, it's probably all been for naught. Yeah, we all... Uh, well, it's either, yeah, like you say, it's either a Charlotte win so Becky can return or uh, Rhea and Charlotte are going to be so so bothered about beating each other up that Nikki's going to steal one. Regardless, they're oh, an enjoyable yeah. no-holds-barred match to conclude Monday Night Raw. Let us know your thoughts on this show that got hijacked by the fans, basically, uh, on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. Well, actually, you can follow both of us. You can follow Michael Hamflit at... Michael Hamflit. 
Follow me at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at What Culture WWE, as I said. Make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on iTunes. And watch there, just like Max Robinson did. Thank you again, Max, for your suggestion. Send us a five-star review review suggestion. Something short, crap, and wrestling-related along with a five-star review of our podcast, so we don't have to review another god-awful Monday Night Raw <laughs> segment. But this has been the Raw Review. My thanks to Michael Hamlet. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.